What's holding you back from becoming the confident and impactful public speaker or leader that you always knew was possible? Do you have a voice inside of you that just whispers that you are meant for more, that you were meant for a bigger stage, that you have something to share with the world? Today, we dive into this topic and more with guest Lori Smith, an innovative public speaking and leadership coach. Welcome, Lori. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me, Kendra. Absolutely. So I'm fascinated by what you do as a public speaker and le- public speaking and leadership coach. Can you talk about how you got started doing that? It was a bit of a curvy road. It always is, right? It always is. And life has been leading me there, I think, for most of my life. When I was about seven years old, my mother found me in in the backyard. My hair was curled up in little pin curls, and I was actually making up the Brady Bunch with some friends, and I mm-hmm. was playing Cindy Brady. And kids being kids, they got bored and went off to do other games. And I said, okay, I'm going to stay here and finish the story, and I'll meet you at the pool later. Mm-hmm. And when my mother found me, instead of, stop, what are you doing? Don't do that. Yeah. I think she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm playing Brady Bunch or something. And she immediately took me to an acting class. And acting and theater was really my first spiritual zone. It's the first time I felt the feeling of being in the moment and in a state of flow. And the people in the theater, everything, there's kind of a light side and a dark side. The dark side of the theater is the stuff that you've seen in movies and television, like the understudy where she's killing the person to get the role. Yeah. The light side is a group of people that really know how to be deeply present with you through anything and connected to you in a way that most of the world doesn't. And that I consciously chose and drew to myself Fast forward 20 years, I was doing theater at night and working a day job as an executive assistant in the Silicon Valley. And I kept feeling called toward living a more aligned life, but my mind was saying, no, I need the money. And somewhere around that time, I had one of many and one of the biggest transformative experiences in the acting class that I was in at that time. I was doing an exercise. On that day, everyone was focused on me. Most of the time in this acting class, part of the class was looking at you, but it was two to four of you up there working with the other eight to 10 watching. On this day, it was everyone and me. And I kept putting on that I'm fine face with lots of jaw tension. I call it an emotional mask now and energetic armor in front of my heart. The thing that a lot of us do when we're trying to be fine, when we're suppressing some kind of energy or emotional state that we don't think is okay and we're trying to fit in. And Richard Side, my acting instructor, paused me as he did so many times over the years to clue me into a piece that I was missing. And he said, whatever it is you're doing in between these little vignettes that we're throwing at you, stop doing that. 
And I said, I'm not that comfortable having everyone's eyes on me. And he took off his glasses and he said, well, you've picked a strange set of careers for yourself then. Part of you wants this. Part of you knows you're meant to be there. I was already an actor and teaching a bit and speaking a bit. So to say I'm not that comfortable having everyone's eyes on me is kind of funny. And yet I have many clients who have that same kind of push-pull with being in the spotlight. And by this point, I deeply trusted him and he held a very safe, intimate space. So I took the leap, went back into the scene and was actively releasing the energetic armor in front of my heart and releasing the jaw tension and continuing this exercise through laughter and crying at moments that did not make sense for what was going on in the scene. And by the time this exercise was over, I looked out at everyone in class when I was done acting. And I was in a flow state, having a moment of oneness with people where there was no acting happening, Mm -hmm. I think for the very first time. And that catapulted me forward to, I don't think I consciously knew this, but I'm going to go get a master's degree in theater. I'm going to go toward this aligned life intuitively as part of being seen, Mm -hmm. really doing what I was meant to do in the world, even though with my mind, I didn't know where that was going to go. I thought I was going to become an actor and like teach acting full time and act at night. And I have done that. And that's not the end of the road. The road led me to being a a leadership coach and a speaking coach for sensitive visionaries, ambitious empaths and loving rebels who are feeling called to share their magic in a bigger way on the world stage. And if it weren't for that calling, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't do it. Right. They would say, I'm not that comfortable being seen or perhaps not in exactly those words. I love those (laughs) facts on the cameras. (laughs) I'm going to turn them off. I haven't (laughs) turned mine off yet and I keep forgetting. Mine keep popping up when I'm counting one, two, and then there's balloons. For those of you listening, the Apple balloons just popped up on the video. So I have so many questions for you because, okay, let me back up. I've actually, I've been at several points of what you're talking about, but I, when in 2002, I had moved from back to San Diego from Denver and I was working from home and I was getting, I was starting to apply for jobs, but I wasn't thinking fast enough. Like I felt like my brain wasn't moving as quickly because I wasn't used to talking with people. So I took an improv class and I thought that would be the way to do it. What I learned very quickly is I was the only person, first, I was the only woman. And second, I was the only person in the improv class who did not have any acting training. Mm -hmm. So it was all brand new to me. And Mm -hmm. while I loved it, I also spent the entire six week, eight week program feeling like a little bit like a failure because I didn't have all that other training. How Mm -hmm. do you, with all of your acting background, how do you help people who might be coming to you who feel that call, but might not have that background 
of any or any experience of being on a stage. I used to teach theater classes around that same time mm-hmm. where eh, a little later, 2009. So there was a round of budget cuts in like the 2008 time frame. Yeah. And instead of having 12 to 16 students in my classes, I had 38 and it was sections A, B, C, and E all in one class. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And part of what I loved about that eventually when I embraced it and embraced that I was meant to be there is that someone in the E section with a lot of experience has a certain set of gifts and skills that they're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. And they also might have a lot of bad habits that -hmm. they're bringing to the table that they got from maybe their high school acting instructor or the masks that are still in place where they're acting from a mask rather Mm -hmm. than their true self. And the people that are in the A section that have never taken an acting class before in their lives that are maybe even 65 years old don't have some of the skills that the more experienced people do, yet they also don't have the bad habits. Mm. Holding that with people with love and respect and honesty is part of that, that I I'm not lying when I say it. I truly believe that sometimes the person with the raw calling and no habits, good or bad, is as valuable to have in the room and is having their path and their experience that they're meant to have. It's as valuable and as unique as the person who's been speaking on all kinds of stages. That's really interesting. And that's an, a a good way to look at it because I've seen, I I think we all have seen plenty of speakers of public speakers go in and not be sure of what they're doing, or they clearly have, you know, they follow a method that someone taught them and that method might be dated or it might've been a trend for a while. And now they have those habits and they, they think it's working. So I, I do understand how that could be really tremendous coming from from that place. Yeah. So how did you overcome just that vulnerability and that those choices of okay, I that feeling of I know I might be met for something more than than what I'm doing. At what point did you decide to listen to that? In some ways it's a journey of continuing to listen to it. And one big step was saying yes and going to graduate school for theater. Then I came out and I was working as a personal assistant for someone part-time while teaching part-time. And one year I was teaching and I was sort of mimicking Catherine Fitzmorris, teaching voice work for the theater, not singing voice work, but speaking. And I was... I was mimicking her style and we are not the same. My style is not her style. And I had sort of a mean girl's experience within my own class. And I had confusion within my own class. There was one day where one of the students raised his hand and said, He asked a question and then he said, because of all of my classes, I don't understand what's happening here. I don't even understand why we have this as a class. 
And I felt like, you know, my inner critic voice on one shoulder and some of my teachers on my other shoulder going, breathe. And that was when the budget cuts happened. So this one year had been very tumultuous. People talking about me behind my back while I was teaching and confusion. And then I discovered coaching. And I discovered it because one of the students in the class came up to me and said, you're different. Style is different. I think you're you trust your instincts. You're not the professor model where you're up on the podium professing your knowledge down to us. You have more of a coaching style. You are in it with us, asking us questions. And when you trust your style, you seem like you're reading people's minds. And then she said, she's, she also said, I'm in other classes with all these students. And the performances that you're drawing out of them are hands down their best performances. But you wouldn't know that because you're not in those classes. Mm -hmm. And then she said, when you don't trust yourself and you try to do it the way you think you're supposed to, it's really not working for you. And that was one of those moments where... I didn't know what coaching was other than coaching basketball, but I knew intuitively she didn't mean that. Her face almost looked like it was in a fun mirror to me. And all of the other students leaving this really big theater building behind her, it looked like time was slowing down behind her. So I listened and I went and I took my first coaching class based off of what she said. That was a huge finding my way to pulling together coaching, leadership, acting, and voice for acting, and some yoga and mindfulness mm -hmm. all to what I do and how I do it now. I think it's so amazing how there's such a benefit of having the experience of all of these different areas in our lives and now like being able to pull it in together and having the wisdom and experience to say this is how this works together and this is how I can help you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it, you know, there were other moments along the way and there was more resistance. And I met someone for the first time the other day. And when I explained what I did, he, he said something back like, that is so clear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was yeah. like, well, 15 years into it. <laughs> it's clear. And I part of that is, yeah, following what I really love to do and how I really love to do it. Even one of the last ahas, I was doing public speaking and leadership coaching work. And last year, I started out the year with the theme of alchemy, thinking I was going to hit rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat with my pre-existing programs. And I was going to be sitting on a pile of gold by January 5th. And that is not how alchemy works, just in case you're listening. <laughs> We love to focus on the gold, but it's actually more about fire and transformation. Mm -hmm. And I got led to shift how I was working into how I now work, which in terms of how I coach people is very mm -hmm. much the same. And it's like it became deeper and bigger. And 
I named it the Speaker's Studio, named after the Actor's Studio from that TV show Inside mm-hmm. the Actor's Studio. And it's not modeled after <laughs> how many other people run their business, which is launch cycle and all that stuff, which really wasn't working for me. And it's an intimate group, just like the one that I had in the Sideways studio where I studied with Richard Side in San Francisco. Because that's how I love to do it. That's how I'm born to do it. And I believe that is what the world needs, that kind of industrial speaking with templates where people are on the podium like Mm -hmm. that student said to me so many years before they mass share their templates and go okay go out there and do it and you know my metaphor for many years has been i'm a warriors fan that steph curry is best three-point shooter in the world if he had spent his whole life getting feedback after a game hey, what if you pulled your elbow in a little bit and then waited until the next game to try to change it? He would not be the best three-point shooter in the history. And sometimes that's what speakers are doing because the industry was not built the way the theater industry has this intimate, a small enough group that you get your time so it feels like everyone is a VIP. You're almost getting one-on-one work, but with a crowd there. And in speaking, the crowd is both your scene partner and your audience. So having a class where there's a few people there, but not a huge crowd helps prepare you in a number of different ways. That's, it's, there's so many things here that I want to dive into, and I apologize for the coughing. So I know that from my own experience, right, I'm one of those people that really went from hating any sort of public speaking, right? Like I was at a wedding and someone said, you need to go speak or at a funeral and someone said, you need to go speak. And so I remember just being so nervous and trying to speak at my cousin's wedding and it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And I had a boss put me in the, um, I want to say the Dale Carnegie training, like the the seven habits training for speaking, Mm -hmm. which I was lucky to do. But it's one of those things where as soon as I started realizing that with my background in writing, it made it a lot easier. So if I could learn how to sit up and, and speak in front of people, I already had the words and I knew mm-hmm. the words. It was trusting myself to engage and learn some of those other things, which I'm still working on, right? It's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. But when we start to look at online and when we start to look at video and things like what we're doing now, there's so many people who I talk to who are afraid. And they're Mm -hmm. afraid because of public speaking, because it feels too vulnerable. They're afraid because they don't have anything to say. They're too old. No one's Mm -hmm. going to care. Mm -hmm. What do you say to someone who might be really good at what they do, but afraid to actually stand up and take ownership of that and actually show up and share their, you know, share their magic in the world? Yeah. I would probably start with a question, the one that popped into my head, even though we're speaking hypothetically, Mm -hmm. is what is the world craving for from you Mm -hmm. that they're losing out on? Sometimes it's 
what makes you angry mm-hmm. about the you know something to help them connect to the change that they're here to bring and whether working with them one-on-one or working in a group one of the magical things that happens in both of those arenas and and I have a slight preference for how it happens if you know when they take the risk and come into one of the small groups mm-hmm. that they may they're not it's about turning the value for them up on their contributions their values what they see what the world is hungry for from them and sometimes through the witnessing of the small group they start to realize that they have something to say that touches people's hearts that helps people transform by doing it in a small space most of my clients would not go anywhere near the stage if it weren't for there is a part of them that knows that there's something that they're meant to bring in the way that they are meant to bring it. I love that. One of the things that you talk about is that the work you do is for sensitive visionaries. I'm I'm looking at it right now. Sensitive visionaries, ambitious empaths, and loving rebels. How did you come up with those groups of people as your focus, like people that fall into one or all of those categories? I love that question. I struggled with what to call my clients when I when speaking to them for many years. Started out with leader, but a lot of us grew up with and still today look at leaders where we don't want to be that. Mm-hmm. One type of leader and we are not that. We don't want to become that. Frankly, it's not what the world needs right now. Then I tried emerging leader. Then I tried only visionary. And meanwhile, I'm gathering evidence. The phrase ambitious empath is one that somebody who someday we are probably going to work together. We haven't actually even done it yet. And I was talking about having discovered that a lot of my clients were empaths. And she listened to part of what I was saying, and she said, well, what I hear you saying is they're not just empaths, they're ambitious empaths, which I now know that I am an empath and have, it's a superpower now as an actor and someone teaching programs and speaking. I know that my ability to feel what's going on out there is one of my greatest gifts. And still I felt like, Only one thing to call people wasn't really working. And I was starting a networking group of my own called Magic Connections Networking. And it was time for me to send out the email inviting people. And I just sat down and wrote something really quick in like five minutes and posted it and sent it out on email. Because I was starting the networking group so that there was one that I, as an empath, wanted to go to. Right. So I wasn't struggling with all the marketing like we normally do and a copywriter who is on my list Mm -hmm. held me back when that email came out that phrase was in it she pasted that and wrote this is hot exclamation point fire exclamation point and I looked back at what I had written in this incredibly quick let me just bang something out there state and I emailed her back and went do you think I should be using this in all of my marketing? And she emailed back, 
hell yes. <laughs> and I went, it really does solve all those problems of, I may see and believe that the sensitive visionaries, ambitious empaths, and loving rebels are the change makers and leaders that are bringing the change to the human race that we so desperately need. But if I use the word leader, it makes it harder for you. Mm -hmm. And now the vibrations of sensitive, visionary, ambitious empath and loving rebel are so much more interesting to me that I will use leader when that's what we need to talk about because of, you know, the one size fits all leader that we don't want to be and none of us are. And the organic way of finding these other things to call people. And a lot of them are all three, but there's something magical about threes. So if mm -hmm. anybody feels, oh, I'm not, I'm not an ambitious empath, but maybe they're a loving rebel. Right. I think it's really interesting. And I also, what other, what also caught me up on in your content was talking about leading with authenticity, creativity, and courage. Because a lot of times we hear like the Bernie Brown and lead with vulnerability, lead with authenticity. But a lot of people get stuck on that word because it's not something that like, one, we hear it a lot, or at least I as a marketer hear it a lot. And two, mm -hmm. how authentic are you really going to be online? How authentic are you really going to be in your professional life? And what, where are those boundaries for yourself? But combining it with creativity and courage, I think, is really powerful in your approach. So I, there's not really a question there. I just want to commend you on that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, I start out with yeah. a question, but I'm like, it's just really impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Authenticity. I feel like, well, I discovered in coaching school that authenticity was one of my top values, which was slightly before the word got taken and then like thrown up everywhere. Right. Privately, when people ask me, what's your top value now? I usually say it's raw authenticity mm -hmm. because I'm great being authentic when I'm being quirky or weird, you know, because it helps create the space for mm -hmm. the people, my soulmate clients and whatnot. Where it's hardest for me and requires the most courage is when I'm feeling raw mm -hmm. and let out the authenticity. And I would say authenticity, creativity, and courage are probably my top three values. I'm not sure. There's like a little voice that wants to go do a checklist right now. Oh. And they probably <laughs> ended up in my marketing and on my website because they're my top three. And there's absolutely a crossover between myself and the people that I work with mm -hmm. that we align on those. It's really interesting. I'm certified in as a master practitioner in NLP. And one of the things that I do with all of my clients is figure out their values, right? We're going to start with your values and go from there. It just makes life easier knowing where your values are and what's important to you when you're making decisions based on your work life, your career, you know, whatever area you're doing your values in. And it's made a difference for me too, as far as like my values tend to, curiosity is definitely value, which is why I restarted the podcast because I love learning about people and learning how they approach things because we all have different ways of approaching something. So I can say, okay, I help my clients go from invisible to invincible in their business. And you can say the same thing if you, if you did, right? But at mm -hmm. the same time, like our approaches are so different and the outcome of what we help teach is so different and coach is so different. 
that there, mm-hmm. and there's room and there's space for everybody because there's no one way and there's no one outcome for each person. Yeah, absolutely. And I find this with being a podcast guest. I don't have my own podcast parentheses yet, maybe. Yet. Yet. yet if I'm called fully there. And it's like we intersect. Mm-hmm. I love the words invisible to invincible podcast. I would not have landed on them myself. And it's what drew me before I read anything else. Because there's a place where we're unique and different. We each have our own ways of working and we're helping some of the same people, some different people. Mm -hmm. And there's an intersection where we come together and we meet and we're having this conversation today. And what you do is so powerful, right? Like when you start to look at the need for public speaking, when you look at the need for People who have that voice in their head, that that feeling that they were meant for more, that they have those stories to share, but sometimes they don't believe it themselves. Once again, sometimes they feel like life has passed them by and it's too late to tell those Mm -hmm. stories. And so I firmly believe that anything that we can do to help people show up and share that experience is critical because. In a lot of ways, by keeping quiet as a you know forgotten generation and what have you and millennials and, and that kind of thing, like as individuals keeping quiet, we're not passing on wisdom and knowledge to people coming behind us. Mm-hmm. And even others who can learn from our peers and colleagues and people who can learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And learn more deeply. I have a, a preference for the spoken word Mm -hmm. and you know capture it in a book so that it lasts longer than you and when we share our stories and our wisdom and our trials and our resilient moments and our pivot moments sometimes things are almost transmuted from the speaker to the listener where i can't live your life for someone else but a part of the aha can happen when we're listening to someone else share their story mm-hmm. and stories, not just let me tell you what you should do, or let me tell you the answers that I found. If I just go answer number one, answer number two, answer number three, it doesn't land as deeply as if I share with you my story and how I struggled. And then let me recap step one, step two, step three, afterwards, it's very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. As we're looking at the people we've been talking to and people who are listening, what advice would you have for somebody that is on the fence, that's trying to find their way to decide whether or not they have a story to tell, to who might just be stuck with these voices in their heads, but not actually doing anything about it. I'm going to channel similar advice to what my, the person who did my branding mentioned to me when I asked her a similar question. Find a space that you trust to step out and try it and or a person that you trust to start to share it with to mirror back to you what they're seeing 
that might be in writing. If you're feeling called to show up and be visible by writing a book, share it with someone that you trust and let them mirror back to you the impact that it's had on you. If you're feeling called to speak and you can find a safe space to step out and do that, let the group mirror back to you. Because I believe that if there is a voice inside of you that's calling you, there's something to that. And we can't figure it out by sitting back and just going, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? We have to take a tiny step forward and go, okay, what happened from that step? Right. I look at it as the same way as, you know, you're not going to run a marathon by just sitting on your couch thinking really hard about it. You have to actually do something and take action on something. Small or big, yeah. it's that push out of your comfort zone to try and and move forward. I'm so impressed with everything you've done and how you've combined all of your expertise to be able to help people and help these ambitious empaths and visionaries. And I don't have it right in front of me yet. And loving rebels, that's the other one. <laughs> sensitive visionaries and loving rebels. So <laughs> tell you. our sensitive visionaries, ambitious empath and loving rebels, how they can find you to learn more. Anything you have going on that you want to share? The best way to get a hold of me is to go to my website, which is voice-matters.com. I am on social. So if you scroll to the bottom of the page, you'll see them there as well. And I can never remember off the top of my head what my handles are. <laughs> As easily I'll have them. As They'll I be can. in the notes. They're all in the notes. Yeah. And I have a fun quiz on my website that's a good fun and deep with a quirky twist or something like that was what a friend of mine said. It's the speaker alter ego quiz. So if we're kind of showing up and speaking but hiding behind a mask that we learned sometime for many people, it's a mask that we don't use anymore except for in the cauldron of the public speaking or the green video light in our faces. It's fun, it's quick, and it's also pretty deep. And, and there's also information all throughout the site about things like the speaker studio and events that I have coming up. And I can attest to the quiz. I actually took it and I have the Joker persona. So when you get, when you see me on stage, if I'm trying to evade or not speak authentically i will be cracking jokes <laughs> and some jokes are good uh another jiving jokester asked me how can we tell the difference and i said are you making the joke to make yourself comfortable or to help the audience have a transformational journey that's a very that's good the difference no so, very good you question. probably joke sometimes and it's mm -hmm. in service of and then there are times where you joke to deflect or hide a hundred percent yes. <laughs> I will yeah. say that truthfully and honestly right here. It's a hundred percent yes to both of those. Nice. Lori, nice. it's been fabulous having you here. Thank you so much. And for those of you listening, thank you for joining us today. And remember at Kendra Losey, we believe that a strong mindset is the foundation for both personal and business success. So with individualized programs, you can find clarity, confidence, and cultivate that growth mindset and that attitude and beliefs towards action. So let's keep going and guiding you to success because it's never too late to make your business and career work for you and not the other way around. Thank you.